Growing up, we only celebrated um, Palm Sunday. We didn't do Passion Sunday. I remember as a kid waving that palm branch, and it was like a victory parade. And Hosanna was like, yay, Jesus, go. But nowadays, we focus not just on that victory parade, but also upon the passion of Jesus. If you read the gospel stories closely, a great proportion of the story is around this last week of Jesus' life and what he does for us. And Mark is the earliest gospel, and he pays particular attention. He slows down, and he looks at the details because he's dealing with what we're all dealing with. Why did Jesus have to die? If God is this great God, why does the Messiah have to suffer and die for us? So we pay attention to the story. We slow down and look at the passion this morning. My last semester in seminary, that's, this was in the spring of 1979, I took an advanced course in preaching. And all of us were looking just at Mark's gospel. And I don't know if I chose it, if it was chosen for me, but this passage I preached on for my final sermon, I made an 80 on it. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Um, and I'll never forget struggling with this passage of this, this woman and her, her act of pouring that, that costly ointment over Jesus' head. And what I was struggling with was that she was trying to do for Jesus what was appropriate for that moment. And then I was translating it, well, what's appropriate for our, our time? And uh, so maybe that's uh, putting an offering in the offering plate as it goes by. And I'm trying to make a stewardship sermon out of it. Or I said, maybe it's uh, to serve the poor. The poor you always have with you, and we know that. And so we need to take care of them. And so I tried to make it a, a mission message. You can see why I made an 80. <laughs> um, class critiqued me after the sermon, and then the professor preaching took me aside alone, and he said uh, very kindly, very gently, he said to me, what you, what you did was, was good, he said, but here's my take on this passage. This woman slows down to worship Jesus because that's what he needed at that moment. It was a passage of adoration of, of bowing down, of having no other agenda but to be in the presence of Jesus, honoring Jesus for who he is and what he does. And he said, nobody else does this <laughs> in the Gospels, and especially at this time. He's about to be denied and betrayed and deserted, and yet this one woman pays attention simply to Jesus. She honors him by anointing him with this oil. Today, I would have you simply pause and worship Jesus to uh, do an extravagant act of taking an alabaster jar and breaking it open and wasting, <laughs> wasting it in a lavish way, your worship upon Jesus. We don't do this so well, I don't think. I, I don't. I mean, as you heard my sermon from all those years ago, I'd rather do something very active like uh, 
put something in the offering plate or go out on a service project. But to slow down and simply be in the presence of Jesus, that's, that's a lot harder for me. When I did my work in spiritual direction, I did it at a Catholic institution, Boston College is a Jesuit university there in Boston. And we had chapel every day. One of the things those Catholics did very well was to not get in a hurry. <laughs> they were very inefficient with the worship service. <laughs> I, I mean it. There, there were gaps, there were pauses where nothing happened. And it gave us an opportunity to reflect on Jesus, who he is, and, and what he does for us. It, it's extravagant. It's wasteful. It's lavish. It's, it's honoring Jesus for who Jesus is. Pause now. So many times we try to make worship utilitarian. We try to make it useful. Well, I go to worship in order to be lifted up and to be happy or to be fulfilled. It becomes like a fuel station. We stop in and get, you know, our tank filled or, or you know, to be more successful, to be healthy and wealthy and wise. And today it's simply about pausing before Jesus, before this act of sacrifice that he does on our behalf and and worship him. Maybe that's why some of you come to worship this day and other Sundays, is that you don't get this anywhere else, this pause, this holy pause to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Jesus is called Messiah. It literally means the anointed one. This woman recognizes Jesus for who he is. She anoints him with this costly ointment. A, denarii was, uh, a denarius was what you got for one day's labor. So 300 denarii was like a year's worth of labor for her, and she wasted that on Jesus. And there were some there who got angry with her but not Jesus. He received that gift because this is the only anointing that he's going to get. When he is killed, there is no anointing of his body in the tomb. This is it. She recognizes Jesus and what he's about to do. I read an article by a wonderful scholar this past week who happens to be female, and she was real irritated that the woman is not named. <laughs> You know, a lot of these other characters, males, they all have names. And why is this woman unnamed? And finally, she came to the conclusion, a happy conclusion. She said, because she's not named, it allowed me to put myself in the story. <laughs> and that maybe from time to time, I was the one who paused and recognized Jesus for who he is and what he does for us. And I could simply honor him and worship him. Can you put yourself in the story that sometimes we keep the promise, sometimes we do recognize Jesus for who he is like this, like this woman does. We are that person who keeps the promise sometimes. We worship Jesus 
But sometimes we're those other characters in the story. <laughs> not just the ones that grew angry. And I'm not going to say that we're Judas, but the very next line after that wonderful scene with the woman, it says, then Judas. Did you see that in the scripture? In the other gospels, when they tell the story, uh, one of the gospel writers says that uh, Judas was motivated by greed, by that, those pieces of silver that he was going to be paid. In two of the gospels, it says that the devil or the Satan entered Judas, and he was uh, saying, you know, the devil made me do it. Mark, the earliest gospel, doesn't have those motivations. I, I like to watch a lot of mystery shows. I, I do that. I'm watching Castle right now. I'm, I'm binge-watching Castle on TV. And, and really, and, and in every episode, this is what you're looking for. You're looking for opportunity, and you're looking for means, and the, but the third thing is always the motive. Why? Why does this person do it? Why does Judas do it according to Mark's gospel? Why do you think? Yeah. I struggled with this. I found a good article where this uh, person said, well, here's Judas, one of the earliest followers, one of the inner circle Following Jesus all around, he gets to see the miracles as Jesus feeds the crowds and as Jesus heals and as Jesus teaches and Jesus so wonderful and powerful. And then there's the Roman oppressors and, and Judas just wants to say, Jesus, if you could just do more group organizing, if you could get your political action committee together, you know, if you could do fundraising, then we could overthrow these Roman oppressors. And what does Jesus do? He receives this extravagant gift from this woman who anoints him for burial. And Judas can't stand it. I know we never have our own agendas for Jesus. <laughs> I'm not saying we're Judas, but you, you get what I'm saying. And Judas breaks the promise. And it's not just Judas. If you look at those other inner circle of people, in, in Mark, they don't come off very well. They're clueless for the whole gospel. They don't understand who Jesus is or what he's doing. And especially here, one's going to deny. They're all going to desert him. And they all break the promise. And my suspicion is that we do too, that we break the promise with Jesus. We ignore him, we desert him, we deny him from time to time. And promise is broken. And then get this, how Mark tells a story. If you read just a few verses past our scripture lesson this day, you know who Jesus eats with? <laughs> he eats with the very person who betray him and deny him and desert him. It says very clearly that Jesus has that Passover feast with those people who break the promise because Jesus keeps the promise for them. And all those who are faithless, he is faithful for. And the way Mark tells the story, it is full of grace because it is totally undeserved. And that's why we gather around this table from time to time to remember that. That even though we break the promise, the promise has been kept by Jesus for us. And friends, that's the good news I have to share on this Palm 
Passion Sunday. Amen.